are excited to be able to uh, continue our series of Living Hope, but we're excited to have David Chung here. David Chung is one of our elders. He is, uh, also does some speaking here on the weekends, and it is just fantastic in the mix, the midst of everything going on today, this weekend, to be able to be flexible and have this happen. So David, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for bringing the message this weekend. I'm excited in this format, in, a, in an empty room, um, but to be able to sit here, I can safely say this is the closest I've ever been to the speaker to hear the message uh, here wow. on a weekend. So it's good, it's good to be here with you. Good oh, to kind of have you. this conversation with you. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. You know, yeah, thank you. Just FYI, I'm Baptist. When I speak, I may spit, so be careful. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll be all right. We'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. You bet. What? So where are we at today? Now, thank you, Mark. Uh, Pastor Jesse, as, as we all know, started this new series, Living Hope. And the, uh, in the past two weeks, uh, Pastor Jesse delivered great messages from uh, 1 Peter 1. And the text that's assigned to me comes from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let me read, let me read the text. It reads, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amazing text. Since Jesse has elaborated on the, uh, on the uh, historical situation of this text, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time about this, except this text was given during the time of severe persecution. Being able to live as a Christian might have meant putting your life on it. Can you believe that? But throughout, you know, a whole lot of New Testament ideas came from the Old Testament ideas and Old Testament theology about 13 to 1400 years before Peter mentioned this, God revealed his thoughts and the same line to Moses. That statement goes to uh, chapter 19 of Exodus. It says, and Moses went up to God. Of course, now the great miracle of the Exodus has already taken place. Moses took three million people of Israel through the ocean and on the, on the wilderness into the plains of Sinai. Now the people are camped at the foot of the mountain. God called Moses up to the mountain, and this is what it says. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on the eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, and all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Amen. Hey, before we go any farther, how about if I pray for you? We'll pray for our time, and uh, we'll let you expand on this, okay? Awesome, thank Father, you. Father, thank you so much for uh, today. Thank you for how you're going to connect New Testament passages to an Old Testament event. 
how you're going to bring that together through David. I pray that you would bless him in his words by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'll lead and guide us today. Father, thank you that you're there, you're here, you are with us in our homes, wherever we're watching. And we pray, I pray specifically for all those who will be part of this weekend service, that you'll speak deeply into their hearts. Father, that we would, we would wrap up today knowing that we heard from you, knowing that there is something for us uh, to respond to as we take this time together. Bless David and all he shares today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you served as an evangelist, you serve as an evangelist, and you also are trained as a, a theologian, and I know that you've traveled all over the world. Um, what is, what's the difference between the Bible and theology? Wow, that's a, that's a profound question. Well, the Bible is, uh, as we have it, is the Word of God. It's given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Since it came from God, it is the infallible Word of God. However, theology is different. Theology is not necessarily inspired Word of God. Theology is a system of human research on the Word of God. Therefore, the Bible never changes but theology changes depending on the time and the people's understanding, so on and so forth, and it is fallible. Hmm. Hmm. So, so why do we need theology if it's, if it's infallible? Well, <clears throat> theology is like, uh, like your glasses. If you put on a pair of sunglasses, everything looks dark. <laughs> yep. If you put on the right glasses, everything looks bright. I mean, what is theology? What is the work of, what is the role of theology? Theology provides perspectives. You know, it's like frame of reference, the way you interpret through. It's like without perspectives, you may see reality but you have no reference point, you may not be able to recognize what you are seeing because there is no frame of reference. That's the work of theology. So for instance, if you, have, if you hold on to the wrong theology, what happens? Then you have the wrong frame of reference, therefore you may end up interpreting the scripture in unbiblical way and your practice of Christianity may become kind of lousy. Sure. You know, um, so somebody said, interpretation can be only interruption. Hmm. Being a Korean American, well, Korean English speaker, I, I have translated for so many Korean evangelists and translated for so many American evangelists and preachers, including Billy Graham. Really? And uh, one time, more than 30 years ago, one well-known Korean evangelist came to America, preached revival but there, at, at a Korean church, but there were so many American people listening to his message through my translation. <laughs> and this man, in the middle of his preaching, began to play on words, not knowing that playing on words cannot be translated. Mm. You know, pun may not be fun anymore once it's, it has to be translated. 
but this guy kept going, but there was no way for me to translate it. So I told my audience, now this man is saying something unsensical, but thankfully I know the story. It's supposed to be funny, but I cannot translate it. But when I give you a sign, would you laugh for me? So when he finally said the punchline, I said, no, laugh, and everybody laughed. <laughs> later on, he said, David, your English is amazing. How did you do that? And I said, this piece of cake. <laughs> wrong frame of reference, mm. wrong interpretation, but correct frame of reference, correct interpretation, but without a frame of reference, you cannot really interpret anything. Mm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, well. Yep. So what's, the, so what's the theology behind Exodus 19? God says through Moses, you will be my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What's the, what's the theology behind that? Wow, Mark, uh, you're becoming a theologian already. <laughs> no. When I listen to people's questions, mm. I know how much he or she knows. Mm. That's a great question. So now, let me, before I answer your question, let me ask your question again. So what would you like to know? Would you like to know the traditional theological understanding behind Exodus 19 or relatively newer, you know, recent theological understanding of this text? You know, we got all the time in the world. I'll, I'll take both. Let's do both. Oh, start, okay. Well, one of them. Let's, well, let's start from the uh, traditional understanding. Perfect. Yeah, traditional the theology. Sounds good. Yeah. Perfect. Now, what is, the, what is the name of the second book of the Old Testament? You didn't tell me there was going to be a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> Exodus. A, oh, wow, wow. That's profound. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. The second book of the Old Testament, Exodus. The name Exodus came from the same Greek word from which the English name exit, English word exit came from. Hmm. So the title of the book, Exodus, assumes something. What do you think of it? The power of God manifested in human history to deliver the people of Israel from the bondage of sin to the promised land. Uh, instance, uh, chapter 12, what happens? God institutes the Passover. All the firstborns of, uh, of the Egyptians were killed, whereas the people of Israel's firstborn were all saved. Mighty work of salvation. And then chapter 13, departure from the country, from the land of slavery. Uh, chapter 14, what happens? Man parting off the sea. Amazing miracle. The people, three million people of Israel walked on the ocean, on the sand. Amazing miracle. But at the time, the greatest army, the strongest army in the world was the Pharaoh's army. But all those people were swept away by the river. Great miracle, hallelujah. The work of salvation is the center of theology in the book of uh, Exodus. That's why this book is called Exodus. But this is what is amazing about perspective. Once your perspective is set, it is almost impossible to change your perspective. Mm. So your interpretation, mm. interpretation is set right there. Therefore, the tradi traditional Christian message based on Exodus 19, or the story of Exodus, right. 
has been this, believe in Jesus Christ, be saved, and go to heaven. Amen. Amen. Yep. That's awesome. So what's... So if you take that... I need to grab my microphone. If you take the recent understanding, theological understanding, what's the role, what's the role of Moses? How does he... What's his place in this? What's his role as, we, as you kind of bridge that from Old Testament to New Testament? We look back like this. What's, what's the role of Moses? Okay, before we go to the role of Moses, okay. let's talk about the newest interpretation of, of, of the book of Exodus. The, okay. the newest way of looking at the book of Exodus. Now, the book of Exodus, uh, as you said, Exodus is the title of the second book of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But then, you know and I know, and most of you may know that the, uh, that the original Hebrew Bible, the original Old Testament texts are not written in Greek. It's not written in English. It's right. written in Hebrew. Right. The Hebrew title of the second book of Old Testament is not Exodus. Isn't it fascinating? Now, this is a name of the second book of the Old Testament. These are the names. <laughs> These are the names. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, what, what do you mean by these are the names? In the Hebrew Bible, the first word that appears in each book is the title of that book. For instance, can you assume can you imagine the, the title of the first book of the Old Testament? Mm -hmm. In the beginning. That's a title, kind of generic. Right. The second book, instead of Exodus, it is these are the names. What are you talking about? What, what, why, why is it these are the names? Exodus, uh, Genesis 46 lists 70 names of people that moved to Egypt with Jacob, including mm -hmm. Joseph. And Exodus 1 mentions the tribal heads of all those 70 people one by one. So Exodus unfolds with this title, these are the names. Very generic. Mm -hmm. But the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. This project started in the third century BC and ended in the second century B BC, 2200 years ago. The translators, the ancient Bible scholars that were involved in the translation of this book, instead of using this very generic title, these are the names, they saw the center of theology of this book being found in this great work of God in history, the work of salvation, work of exiting God's people from Egypt. Therefore, this book's title should be Exodus. That's theology. Ever since the theological perspective was put in, Christian church's message has been Believe in Jesus, be saved, and go to heaven. Following the traditional theology, if you have a, a what's my call it, a study Bible? Sure. 
chapter 19, the content of chapter 19 is probably summarized as theophany. And chapter 20, giving of the Ten Commandments. Right. What does theophany mean? Theo meaning God. Uh, epiphany meaning appearance. So God's self-manifestation to his people. Now, if you are a thinker, you know, if I ask you a question and you give me an answer, no matter how brilliant your answer may be. It probably wouldn't be. <laughs> no matter how brilliant your answer may be, I'm not going to be very impressed. <laughs> I'm not going to say, wow, he's, he's very intellectual. I'll probably say his memory power is great. Mm. Why? Because when you answer questions, that answer is not yours. That's from whatever you read, huh. whatever you heard. Mm -hmm. But I find people's genius in their questions, because questions are theirs. Hmm. Now, we're going to ask this question if we, are, if we hold on to a traditional view of, the, uh, uh, of Exodus, mm -hmm. then we're going to ask this question. If the center of theology in this second book of the Old Testament is discovered in this mighty act of God's salvation, which is discovered in Genesis chapter 12, 13, and 14, how come God is appearing in chapter 19 way later? What is the coherent theological reason for this? If you are a thinking person, whoa, I don't know. Well, maybe God has done, God has finished He's part of mighty salvation, and the people of God are all saved, rescued, and there's nothing more that God can do. Mm. So maybe he's bored, so he's saying, well, I'm going to just appear to them and talk to them because I'm bored. Do you have any other better reasoning? But the latest, latest theological discovery is radically different. Mm. You know, if you see the PowerPoint uh, slide up here, all the Old Testament, Old Testament scholars, as well as ancient Near Eastern scholars, all agree that in the ancient Near Eastern uh, um, international treaties, or their practice of building international treaties among two nations, mm -hmm. These five points always appear in their treaty documents. These are preamble, historical prologue, stipulations, the laws, and the provisions, and the curses and blessings. An amazing theological dissertation was written and published in the turn of the century, about 20 years ago, in London, and that scholar that wrote that dissertation came to see this chapter from a totally radically different perspective. All these five elements that we find in the ancient Near Eastern covenant building uh, documents, mm -hmm. he found all these from chapter 20, the next chapter of Exodus, all the way to Deuteronomy. Hmm. And ancient people thought of this whole five books as Pentateuch, as one book. Hmm. 
So it's not just God's self-manifestation, but there is covenant building starting from chapter 20. If that is what it is, then chapter 19 is amazingly important. It's not just, wow, you know, God did his work, the work of salvation, and God is bored, so let's just go meet him. It's not that. The real thing is happening from chapter 20 of Exodus. What had happened before chapter 20 was only a little preview of what's going to happen. Chapter 20 is the real thing. Now, in chapter 19, the role of Moses is that of a matchmaker. You know, in the United States of America, you know, if you want to get married, you got a date. I mean, <laughs> without, without dating, I mean, nobody gets married in this culture. But not so in Asia. You don't have to worry about dating. I mean, you don't have to be really skilled in the art of dating, thanks to matchmakers. <laughs> the maker, matchmakers will arrange everything for you. That sounds risky. Yeah, that's, but that's risky, exactly right. But, you know, I don't understand why in this safe society, mm. divorce rate is much higher mm. than in that risky, seemingly risky society, <laughs> in Asian society. One Korean thinker wrote a book entitled America versus Korea. He compared and contrasted in his, in his book about American culture, Korean culture, American, uh, American practice, and Korean practice. When it comes to marriage, this is what he wrote. It was so significant that I, I didn't forget it, although I read it some 30 years ago. He said, Americans marry those whom they love, whereas Koreans love those whom they are married to. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. So the, the role of Moses in chapter 9:10 is not just God's self-manifestation or theophany. God is asking Moses to come up to the mountain. I have a very important proposal. So he goes up there, and this is what God says, Moses, I fell in love with the people of Israel. I want to marry them. Would you go back to them and tell what I'm going to tell you? If you would marry me, you would be my own possession. You would be a kingdom of priests, and you would be a holy nation. I love you. Would you marry me? Tell your people that. So the role of Moses, that of a matchmaker. <laughs> That's it here. That's good. Yeah. So how does that, so tell, so with that, um, how does that play out in the function of a priest in ancient Israel? Where is, is that, yeah, just, so, what's that look like? So, you know, once you marry me, you people of Israel, right. God says you will be my own possession, yep. you will be a, a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation kingdom of priests once we uh, once the people of israel accepts the king's marriage proposal mm. proposal and marries the king god then the people of israel will become a kingdom of priests mm. what is the role of the priest in the ancient near eastern world right. 
Priests are a very special class of people that stand in between God and man, holy God and sinful man. He reaches out and holds the hand of God with one hand. He reaches out the other hand to the sinful man and hold those hands together in reconciliation mm. so that the people will love God mm. and submit themselves mm. to God. Mm. That's the role That's of, awesome. of the priest. That's awesome. That's awesome. I like that. That's a good connection. That, that's new understanding, and I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that uh, appreciates hearing that today. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So, so based on what you said, based on what you shared, what should, what's the right question we should ask as Christians about God's salvation? What's so that? based based on the traditional understanding of of the uh, of the theology of of uh, Exodus, our question has always been. What is salvation from? And the traditional answer has been salvation from sin. Right. Salvation from the bondage of slavery of sin. Mm -hmm. Come to Jesus, be saved, go to heaven. But based on the new understanding of the theology of the second book of all the Old Testament, the right question should be, what is salvation for? Hmm. What is salvation for? We are saved not for the sake of being saved, but we are saved to enter into a covenant relationship with God and then to lead, as, uh, lead our lives as a kingdom of priests. Hmm. In other words, we are making a covenant and we are living as a mission carrier. God saved us for a mission. God did not save us for the sake of salvation, but there is a prize or mission that we should carry on. What the question should not be, what is salvation from, but the right question should be, what is is salvation for. Hmm. So what we should do is we need to, that last 30 seconds, we just need to uh, go back and just rewind that and play it over and over and over again because I think that is a, a really important it's truth that should could change, for many of us, change the way we think and change the way we live. Exactly. Change the way we live. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, the role of matchmaker, I mean, that is our mission. Mm. The role of priest, mm. you know. You know, I, I graduated from uh, uh, a theological seminary in 1990, went back to Korea to serve in the military, but right after my graduation, I received my ordination, and then I went to Korea to serve in the military, and I didn't, I lived in the States for five years, so I didn't see my friends and my family, sure. so upon returning to Korea, I went to see my aunt, and my aunt said, wow, David, wow, I thought you were a boy, but you, you came home, you became an awesome, good-looking, uh, eligible <laughs> bachelor, she said. She said, David, do you have a, a woman that you are in, in serious relationship with? And I said, no, and uh, she was, she, 
her side job was a matchmaker. <laughs> she was picking out a book, and she said, David, I have many, many great women here. I said, no, no, Auntie, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm a Christian. And she said, son, you don't get it. There are Christian women here also. And I said, oh, Auntie, you don't get it. I'm a preacher. I'm an ordained minister. And she said, Son, you don't get it. There are great minister's wife materials here. And she said, she was flipping over the book, and she said, oh, look at this woman, a name such and such. She, oh, had, a, she had a book. With yeah, all she had a book with all the like names and information. Exactly. Uh -huh. and she said, yeah, now that's on Facebook or yeah. whatever. Oh, yeah. no, was, at the time yeah, there was yeah. no Facebook. Just... And she said, wow, look at this woman. She is uh, five feet seven. Oh, she's tall, and she graduate of such and such college music major. Oh, she's playing the piano for church, and she's Sunday school teacher. Wow, well, how about Man, matchmaker, matchmaking, wow. Salvation for. What is the purpose of God saving us? Now, the right question at this time should be this. How are we going to apply this? Mm -hmm. to our life. Right. I mean, Exodus, the message in the Exodus was given to the people of Israel. Right. And the message in 1 Peter was given to the Christians in the first century. Right. Then what about us, Americans, living in the, uh, in the United States of America in the 21st century? How does that apply to us? That's the question, because that, and then later on, just the last year of what we continue to walk through, but regardless of the season, that is the question. What's the application? What do exactly. We do with that? Yep. Now, I, I want to I take our thoughts to the book of Revelation because the, Revela the book of Revelation is about what's going to happen, you know, right. and at the end of time when Jesus is returning. So, Revelation chapter 1, John unfolds this book with this amazing statement. He says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the fruitful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood and he has made us to be a kingdom of priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not just the Old Testament Israelites. It's not just the New Testament people, but all Christians that are living in the 21st century. God's call for us is still the same. God called us to be a kingdom of priest for his glory. Amen and amen. The work of priesthood. Now, if God's purpose for us is only to save us, let me ask you another important question. Why does God not take us to heaven right after we are saved? Because living further may only mean we sin more. I mean, there are many tools that God can use. Why not a heart attack? Why not a traffic accident? You know, in fact, 
60% of world's automobiles are driven in the United States. American people would have way more chance to go to heaven after you are born again. What about, what about, this is, a, this is a big thing. What about we Baptists? I mean, you know, we have way more chance to be with the Lord than those of our brothers who have just a little sprinkling on their foreheads. Mm. Why? Because we believe in dunking people into a, a large body of water, right? Yeah. So we go in there and we come out and we're totally soaked and totally wet and the water is dripping, right? Mm. But usually baptistry is placed a little lower so that people go up and go down, so as they walk up on up the stairs and it's it's slippery and you're dripping. What if you slip and fall and break your skull and go to heaven right there? And the people in the church go, Hallelujah! God took him. He is saved now. Praise the Lord. Nobody does that. Look at. 2,000 years of Christian history, God has never taken anybody in that fashion to heaven. Why? Because God's purpose is not to save us just for the sake of saving us. That's why God is leaving us in this world even after we are saved. Because, why? Because we have a mission to carry on. We are not saved for heaven. We are saved for this earth. The Bible doesn't say you are the light and the salt of heaven. The Bible says you are the light and the salt of what? This world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that mission is given not only to the people of Israel, but also to the first century Christians, but to all of us living in the United States of America in the 21st century. So, this is when I wish I was sitting out there reflecting on what you just said because now I feel like I have to kind of pause from what the Lord is speaking to me about and just keep, keep this moving forward because the application I'm having now is such a, a reality for me of, of what, you know, we all have this, what we've walked through, what we've experienced, and to know that, um, that God's planned something for us beyond even the present day, that Jesus, our living hope in us, mm -hmm. we become hope to the world around us. He uses us. And um, so I won't, I won't unpack that because I think I'll use that for reflection later that we all should is, God, what are you... What are you using? What do you, what's your plan and purpose for me? What, do, what am I still here for? Because we can get stuck on what it is for us personally. And it really where our thoughts need to be and our, our attitude and, and who we look towards is not ourselves in the mirror, but Jesus, as you lead, what do you, what do you have planned for me to, to impact your kingdom, right? So excellent question. Excellent question. That will connect to my final thought okay. also. So... Once again, let's go back to the right question. We have always asked, the, asked this question, what is salvation from? Right. But the real question that we have 
missed asking has been, what is salvation for? Mm. It's for a mission. Yeah. You have a mission. I have a mission. All of us has a mission. I mean, have a mission. But let's go back to our main text, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Be careful. That's description of who we are. But the author is not laying emphasis on the privilege of the priesthood. Mm. The real weight of this statement comes in the later half of that statement. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is the mission given to us. Now, this mission presupposes serious training. Mm. You know, Bible is fascinating. God's call is fascinating. Before God would make us, you are a priest. God changes our being first. You are a priest. You have become a priest. Therefore, train yourself to live up to that status. Mm. So if we would say amen to that call, we should receive training mm. to become a better priest. Mm. All of us, not just a pastor, mm -hmm. not just church staff, mm -hmm. but all Christians. I mean, this mission is given to every one of us. But unless we are trained, how are we going to do it? I mean, <clears throat> now, the whole Bible is a serious invitation. Mm. Come, let us reason. Come, drink the water that's coming from the Lord. I mean, the whole Bible is an invitation. Now, <clears throat> as I wrap up my thoughts, I want to take, take this opportunity to give you an invitation. Jesus said, well, Peter, coming from Moses, says, I'm calling you to be a kingdom of priests. But it takes priests to make priests. Mm. The same thought, Jesus said, go make disciples. Right. It takes disciples to make disciples. Now, are you a disciple? Are you a disciple maker? If you are not, but if you are praying this time, honestly praying, God, if you are calling me, I'm willing mm. to respond. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I'm a preacher, <laughs> and I'm an evangelist. I one time heard Billy Graham say this. He said, if he, when he goes to heaven, 
God will probably hold him responsible for all the exaggerations <laughs> that, that he, has, uh, he has made as an evangelist. If there are 900,000 people in his crusade, you know, the temptations are, there was one million people in my, you know. How, how can you count, you know, the difference between 900,000 and one million? One of the exaggerations that I have made, that I have to uh, hold accountable for mm. without seriously weighing or evaluating the theological weight of this statement. I tend to say, just trust in the Lord. The Lord will do everything. Mm. I mean, you don't have to worry about anything. Just stand firm in the Lord, which is not theologically wrong, but look at this text in Exodus 19, once again, now Moses delivered God's desire to marry the people of Israel. So this is what the text says. <clears throat> Verse 5 and 6 of, uh, of chapter 19. Now then, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Verse 7. I mean, up to this point, you only hear God's voice, right? right. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded. There is a fascinating voice in verse 8. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Hmm. Hmm. It's not God doing all by himself like a one-man band. There is God's voice and there is man's voice. Let me refine what I used to say. Instead of Instead of saying it's all about God, the text says it's all about God's sovereignty and it's all about man's responsive response of obedience. Mm. Now, God is calling us, would you live a life of a royal priesthood? Mm. I saved you for that purpose. And if you do not live that life, it's not because God failed, because you never responded to God's call mm. in obedience. Now, this church, this year, Pastor Jesse wants to do a great job of producing disciples. So I want to give you an invitation. If you are praying honestly right at this point, Pastor Jesse, elders of Grace Community Church, mm. would you train me to be a disciple maker? I want to stand firm as a disciple so that I can live effectively as a holy, royal priesthood for Jesus. Mm. If that is your confession, if that is your prayer, would you look at the screen and text to church training, then we will contact you, we'll provide proper discipleship training. Maybe in the summer, 
I mean, in the spring through the summer, and after the training, we would be better equipped to train others to live a disciple or royal priesthood, or better yet, to live as matchmakers. Yeah. What about that? Mm. Well, shall we pray? Yeah, absolutely. Father, we are so grateful for this time that we had with Pastor Mark, Lord. And I thank you for uh, your insight uh, that you have given us uh, on your word, Lord. Having heard the message, we open our hearts and commit ourselves, Lord. I know that you are a sovereign God, and yet you are such a gentleman. You are not forcing anybody. Would you touch our hearts, though, and give us a gentle spirit and determination to receive training so that we will certainly live, not anymore as a stagnant Christian, but help us to live through the training as a dynamic disciple-maker. Would you make us one for your kingdom so that we'll carry on the mission, carry on the purpose of your salvation, that is to lead our lives as a royal priesthood for the kingdom of God. For we ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel. <laughs>